This podcast is a short session aimed at anyone really, anyone who wants to make some steps towards improving their general well-being. There are so many elements that make up well-being, plus we're all so individual, so it isn't really a one-size-fits-all. This isn't about saying that we all need to do X, Y and Z in order to be better. Who is anyone to say one route is better than another? My aim for this imparting of information is to literally share some key areas that through my career, research, training and lived experience are pretty important to enhance well-being in general. The main topics that are going to be covered are sleep, finances, emotions and resilience, exercise and goal setting. Having listened to a few podcasts recently, they all seem to have disclaimers regarding listening while operating machinery or some such advice. I assure you there is nothing relaxing about my voice and for that reason I shall try to keep this snappy. The other disclaimer is a lot of this information has been sourced from our Unum LifeWorks website and self-help literature. There are other EAPs available, but I have not reviewed the content of these. I represent Unum and the materials supported in this session are all Unum. So without further ado, sleep. This actually underpins success in all aspects of our lives and a lot of success can be unraveled from consistently poor sleep. On an average night, millions of us have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. Sleep difficulties can take a toll on our health, well-being and particularly if they persist. People who are sleep deprived are more likely to experience poor concentration and irritability, have accidents and even suffer from depression. Sleep is so important for all of us and we have started with this area in particular because most of the other goals we're going to talk about won't work so well if we don't get our sleep. Did you know that one in three of us suffers from poor sleep with stress, computers and taking work home often to be blamed? But when I talk about sleep, I'm not talking about insomnia or sleep disorders. I'm talking about basic good quality sleep, the right length sleep, routines and wakefulness. We should actually have between seven to nine hours sleep a night. Although if we're unwell, sometimes we actually need even more. Many effects of a lack of sleep, such as feeling grumpy and not working at your best, are well known. So I'm not going to cover all of those. But sleep deprivation can also have consequences on your physical health. Regular poor sleep puts you at risk of serious medical conditions. And that can include things like obesity, heart disease and diabetes. And it even shortens your life expectancy. It's so clear that a solid night's sleep is essential for a long and healthy life. Some top tips to get your sleep. So obviously I've talked about how sleep is really important, but how can we actually get good sleep? Routine. Try to go to bed and get up at the same time every day, even when you don't have to go to work. I personally always read my book. I get up from my sofa, I go upstairs, I do my ablutions, get into bed, read my book. Now this is a routine that I take everywhere from going on holiday to Ibiza to staying in hotels for work. Having that bedtime routine means no matter what time I'm trying to go to sleep, my body knows that that is what is expected of it and the sleep happens. A predictable routine will set your body's internal clock to expect sleep at the same time each night and having a bedtime routine will help to train your mind to relax and fall asleep in response to physical and emotional triggers. You may want to avoid things like watching television in bed, looking at your screens in bed, 
and keeping activities that aren't sleep related outside of your bed, such as working. Make sure you go to bed when you're drowsy. Don't force yourself to sleep if you're not tired. Learn to recognise your signs of sleepiness and use those as your cue to turn your lights out and go to bed. Keep your bedroom quiet and dark and comfortable. Sounds obvious, but something to be really mindful of. You may even want to use earplugs or white noise machines. They can be really handy. And also exercise. Get regular exercise, but try to avoid it three hours before bedtime. Daily exercise can help you to fall asleep but exercise too near bedtime can stimulate the secretion of hor the hormone cortisol and that can actually make you be more alert. A lot of my friends and colleagues love a nap. I'd love to have a nap. I have a child and a job. There is therefore no napping. However, daytime naps can be really, really good. But if you nap for longer than 60 minutes, you may actually fall into a deep sleep and that can actually impact your ability to fall asleep at night. Obvious things such as nicotine, caffeine and alcohol. I know that I often fall asleep extremely well after having alcohol. Unfortunately, it can actually impact on the quality of your sleep um, and it means that you can often wake up later in the night. And finally, just think about what you're going to do before you go to bed. Dealing with demanding tasks, doing things that are quite stressful, looking at your work phone, checking emails, so on and so forth, actually can mean that it's harder to sleep. If you're thinking about paying bills or serving a work, solving a work problem or dealing with difficult parenting issues just before bed, it can actually impact on the ability to fall asleep because it will stimulate your mind. In summary, most of us need around eight hours of good quality sleep a night to function properly. Some of us need more and some less. Think about Margaret Thatcher. She only needed to have a few hours of sleep a night. But what matters is that you find out how much sleep you need and try to achieve it consistently. As a general rule, if you wake up tired and spend the day longing for a chance to have a nap, it's likely that you're not getting enough sleep. Finances, money, financial wellness. Many of us find some area of finances an issue, whether it be debt, savings, planning for the future, pensions. Money makes me personally feel really anxious and uncomfortable. But actually, I used the Employee Assistance Programme earlier this year. I took a financial assessment online through the EAP. It really helped me to focus on certain areas. It's linked below. I completed the online test and then I took on some of the actions that were suggested to me. And as a result, this year, don't get me wrong, I haven't got loads of money. I haven't had the money fairies come along and give me money. But it has made my stress so much less this year when it comes to finances because I just took control and got more organised. Later in the year, in this series of podcasts, we actually have a whole podcast based on financial well-being and money matters, which will be for anybody at all. Personally, I can't wait for that. So one of the leading causes of stress in the UK is the amount of money people have to live on. It's more than having money in the bank. Financial wellness means feeling in control of your finances, being able to handle a financial setback and being on track to achieve your financial and life goals, which can actually include having a plan for retirement. Financial wellness is actually now understood to be as important as physical or mental well-being, and people consistently cite money as one of their biggest sources of worry and stress. Facing up to financial challenges can be helpful. A realistic appraisal of your personal finances might actually spur you to take positive actions, such as creating a budget or starting a savings plan. I've said it before and I'll say it again, feeling more in control of your financial future actually helps set your mind at ease. 
To do that though, you need to make a mental shift from worrying to problem solving. That requires analysing your money problems, often facing up to what is going on and really thinking about developing a practical plan for dealing with your money issues. So if you've got concerns about money and they've been sort of weighing on your mind, here's some ideas to help you take charge of your finances and also your thoughts around your finances. So if you're worried about debt, maybe devise a debt reduction plan. So depending on your situation, you might consolidate high interest credit card debt into one low paid interest loan or increase how much you pay off each month if you've got the means. You might just want to contact the Employee Assistance Programme to have a chat through any money issues. When you're thinking about your nest egg, you need to educate yourself about investments and savings options so you can make an informed decision. I still don't understand about investments and saving options, but I spent the time to read through all of the availability within my pension pot and my pension funds. And therefore, I know that when I did take the time, that was all sorted for the future. And the other thing is thinking about a budget. It sounds really sensible, but if you haven't actually listed every outgoing all the way down to your daily coffees at work, through to how much you're spending at lunch, the odd thing you're buying for clothes online, all of those things add up. You need to confirm exactly what is going out and exactly what is coming in. And obviously if the outgoings are higher than the income, you need to make a change. So we've looked at sleep. Are we basically getting enough? We've looked at money. Do we need to make a change? Do we need to look at our money management? Now, we're gonna look at emotions and resilience. So at certain times of year, we can find ourselves feeling low in mood and unmotivated. And we thought it was important to look at emotions and create an awareness of how we can manage them more effectively and look at how we can enhance our own resilience, both in and out of work. We actually have six core emotions, four are negative and one is neutral and only one is positive, meaning we are naturally more likely to focus or be aware of the negative ones. Just in case you don't know what those six core emotions are, I'll read them out to you. Happiness, disgust, sadness, anger, fear, and the neutral one is surprise. So the fact that there are more negative ones is actually linked to the same mechanism as the fight or flight response, which is designed to protect us from danger. From a survival perspective, you can actually see why it is useful to be more aware of anything that is likely to hurt us, and therefore being more attuned to our negative emotions is really helpful. But nowadays, we're not facing woolly mammoths and fighting as cavemen. We aren't threatened with life and death situations regularly. However, our bodies are still wired in the same way. So this means in modern times that we live in now, we have to work harder to pay attention to the positive emotions we experience. So what's an emotion? There are typically three core components to an emotion. The feeling, an external expression of what we're experiencing, and psychological changes. So the feeling, that's our individual experience or interpretation of a situation. An external expression of what we're experiencing, so that's facial expressions and the things we say. So basically verbal or facial expression or a combination of the two. So psychological changes such as increased heart rate, increased breathing, muscle tension, these changes aren't generally in our conscious control, but we often become aware of their impact, such as sweating or tightness or butterflies. And this is where we have an opportunity to reappraise our interpretation of the feeling 
and control the emotional response. More simply, if we think about there being a stimulus and then the opportunity for a response, in between that, we have the ability to choose. The emotion will happen anyway, but the response is our choice. We often think of emotions happening to us. However, if we can become aware of the emotion and how it affects us, for example, anger, we can reappraise the situation, interpret it more positively, and therefore better manage our emotional reaction to it. And this is the basi basis of resilient thinking. For example, on Friday, very exciting, taking my daughter off to an activity. Meeting my sister at said activity. Unfortunately, the traffic starts to get bad. Probably shouldn't have thought about doing the activity on a Friday afternoon and having to go on the M25. The traffic is getting worse. Now I have the choice. I can actually get stressed, wound up, angry, or I can actually utilize the, uh, my ability to overcome that response and use that time to sit with my daughter, sing, play, obviously I'm driving, so nothing dangerous occurred, but that ability to actually turn around how I responded to the situation and instead of responding in a negative way, utilizing my positive emotions and actually thinking, this is some quality time I can spend with my daughter, we will get there when we get there. So let's apply this to performance and how this might actually impact us day to day. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the new acronym that has recently made an appearance and that is called T-A-T-T, -T, tired all the time. Are you feeling tired all the time? And are your emotions actually influencing this? So the way we manage our emotions has an impact on our moods and how well we are able to perform. I'm not sure if anybody has ever heard of the human performance curve, but if you were describing it along the left axis going up, it would be performance and on the bottom axis, it is stress. Now at the top of the curve, we have optimal performance. This is where we need to keep ourselves. We want to be optimal performance. However, if we are actually too calm, we can drop right down to the side where we're bored and our performance reduces because we're actually not got any stimulation. Or we can be so stressed and so highly strung that we're actually at the point of fatigue, exhaustion, ill health, and eventually breakdown and burnout. So we need to be thinking about keeping ourselves in that optimal performance piece where we are energized, focused, and enjoying ourselves. Work feels effortless, life feels engaging and fun. What are we doing to allow the emotions take over and prevent us from being at that most optimal place for existing? Have a little think about where you might be on the scale, either today or recently, and think about more generally about most of the time. If you're finding yourself bored or understimulated, think about how this is impacting you and what actions can you actually take to change this. Similarly, are you feeling tired all the time or emotionally drained or burned out? Having some insight into this can help you reappraise the situations you find yourself in and help you make better decisions led by conscious thoughts rather than unconscious emotional reactions. It is useful to identify emotional energy drains. Is it your lifestyle making you tired? Are there work or family demands dragging you down? Is it just the wrong job, the wrong activities at the wrong time? Here's some examples of potential things to think about that could be done in order to protect yourself. So think about other people's expectations. Are you being driven by shoulds? Living the way we think we should is draining and constricting. So just think about that. 
energy drain. So having boundaries is really important. When you don't define them, work pressures or other people start to create your boundaries for you. And as a result, things continuously happen to us rather than us being in control of them. Just learn to say no sometimes. Or if you're in the calm, bored zone, say yes more and push yourself out of your comfort zone. Personalise your decisions and ask yourself, if it were up to me, what would I do? What do I want to do? Not what I should do. And I know this is probably very easy to do, particularly with so many influences and so much social media. A lot of us believe that we should be exhibiting certain actions as a parent, as a worker, as a friend. And we often put excessive pressure on ourselves in order to deliver to a standard that probably isn't something that is attainable. And just make sure you're having fun. Have fun. It could all be gone tomorrow. Fulfill yourself. Get satisfying experiences and even small ones can really help to energise us. And this is going to sound too easy, but try to stop worrying. When you worry, you might think you're dealing with things, but you're just ruminating, causing yourself stress and not actually moving forward with anything. So do it or dump it. If you're not going to fix it, don't bother worrying about it because it's just another emotional drain. Trust yourself to make a decision, action it and ditch the things you don't want to do. So we've briefly looked at emotions and how they can impact us. Now we're just going to have a little look at resilience to round this piece off. What is resilience? You've got people like Nelson Mandela that state the greatest glory of living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time you fall. I also follow Will Smith on Instagram and he actually put on a while ago an awesome Insta story on failing and he stated, fail early, fail often, fail forward. In summary, what he's saying is failure is a massive part of being successful. Failure is where all of the lessons are. So think about going to the gym. Think about how you fail at the gym. You take your muscles to the point where they fail so they can grow and develop. Take a shot, live at the edge of your capabilities. Practice is controlled failure and failure helps you to recognise to the place you need to develop. Resilience protects our psychological well-being and health. It is being psychologically positive and healthy, behaviourally effective and capable. It retains a focus on what matters and supports effective behaviour to cope. So why wouldn't we want to be resilient? Ultimately, no one has quite put their finger on exactly how we can be more resilient. But personally, I strive to be more resilient every day. If I can be more resilient, I will be a stronger, person and more able to face challenges successfully without falling apart or crying. Uh, resilience is not about avoiding hard times or never failing, it's about perseverance and practice makes perfect. So a little activity that you might want to think about doing is working out where your resilience is stronger or weaker and what things you could do to improve it. If you think about four areas, Ivan Robertson and Kerry Cooper have a resilience model and what they look at is four factors confidence, social support, adaptability and purposefulness. Think about what you could do in each area of these to work on your own resilience. So confidence is having feelings of competence, effectiveness in coping with stressful situations and having strong self-esteem. Experiencing positive emotions, so thinking back to that emotional piece, we only have one positive emotion out of those six core emotions. We need to harness that and utilise it and it will help to improve our confidence. Social support, so building good relationships with others and seeking support to help overcome adverse situations. Don't keep trying to cope with everything on your own. Reach out, 
Use your friends, use your peers, use your family. Adaptability is the flexibility to adapt to changing situations beyond our control. If we can cope with change, we can recover quickly from its impact. Purposefulness. This isn't existential. This is just having a clear sense of purpose, having clear values, drive and direction so that we can know where we're going and face on setbacks well and achieve in the face of setbacks. So just worth thinking about those four areas and relate them to yourself and resilience. And hopefully you can take some goals and ideas and plans away for the future and looking at your own resilience. So the next couple of sections that we're going to talk about is exercise and SMART goals. I'm not going to go on for too long. I'm not an exercise instructor. I need to do more exercise myself personally. But there is no disputing the benefits of exercise, both physically and mentally. We've all heard of those things called endorphins, those lovely happy hormones that are released during exercise so that we get the immediate feel-good hit. One of the most important things you can do for your physical and emotional well-being is to develop an exercise routine that will help you stay fit. And we're talking about structure and consistency here. You do not need to be a marathon runner to get the health benefits and even small amounts of exercise will reap rewards. Developing a fitness routine can be a challenge, but if you have a busy schedule or haven't exercised for a while, it can be even more challenging. However, there are many ways to increase your fitness levels no matter what kind of schedule you have or how much you've exercised in the past. There are so many things online, there are so many things available such as the couch to 5k and park run is another kind of initiative to get people more active more frequently. The National Health Service actually recommends that adults, adults aged between 19 to 64 get at least 30 minutes of moderate aerobic activity on most days of the week. We need to build new habits that we can sustain and many things we do every day can provide exercise for us, such as mowing the lawn, doing the household chores, pushing a buggy. Obviously, if you have a child, don't take someone else's child and push their buggy. That would be inappropriate. Adding more of these can increase your fitness levels. So why don't you just take a brisk walk during your lunch break? And let's be realistic. People don't always take lunch breaks and we don't take them every day. But try and set yourself a goal that at least once or twice a week you're going to take a walking break at lunchtime. Exercise while you're watching television or talking on the phone. Get your hands free set and take a walk when you're having a phone call. Walk to a colleague's desk or workstation instead of sending an email and do the same thing at home. If you need to speak with a friend or neighbour, go round to their house. Get in the habit of parking a short distance from your destination and walking the rest of the way. Take a five minute break at work and do a little bit of stretching. Use the stairs instead of the lift. And just building physical activity into the, into the time you spend with family or friends. Go for a walk instead of meeting for a coffee. Try to take up a new activity that involves exercise and that can be anything. But most importantly, do something that you enjoy so you're more likely to stick to it. And don't take on too many things all at once. We've talked about a variety of different things that we could be doing in order to benefit our mental well-being, our resilience, so on and so forth. We can't do all of them, just pick one or two actions. So finally, we need to be thinking about our goal setting. Learning how to set and reach realistic goals helps you to do your best in any area of life. Having clear goals and a plan for reaching them can help you succeed whether you hope to quit smoking, lose weight, manage stress, sleep better or make another change. And the SMART goal model can actually help you think through and evaluate your goals. 
Most people apply SMART goals to work, to work situations, but we actually need to be thinking about how we can apply them to ourselves and to life. Remember what SMART goals stand for. Be specific, measurable, so you can actually track your progress. Attainable, don't suggest that you're gonna finish work on time every day, go for a five kilometre run every single lunchtime and eat kale for breakfast, lunch and dinner. That's not gonna happen, it's too many changes, it's unsustainable and it sounds really quite boring. Have something that you can achieve and then you can push yourself a little bit harder and you can also tick off that you have achieved it. Furthermore, make it realistic. I know that I couldn't eat kale for breakfast, lunch and dinner and have a five kilometre run every day. Think about what you can actually do and make it time limited. So don't set yourself 60 things that you need to achieve by the end of the year and then by the end of the year you haven't achieved them because you haven't applied all of the other pieces and you haven't made it time limited. Give yourself a deadline. Your goals will ideally build on your past successes. So thinking about your confidence level during the goal setting process is an important part of making sure your goals are realistic. Your SMART goals should be goals that you're almost certain you can achieve, but they should stretch you a little. You need to set yourself one or two achievable goals, tick them off, move on to the next ones. Even if you're constantly re-evaluating and resetting your goals, that's absolutely fine. Thank you so much for listening. I hope all of these things can be implemented at any time. But remember, there is no such thing as work-life balance. Work is always more dominant. So ensuring you're energised from work, getting a work-life integration that suits you. And remember, you can also think about all of the things that we've spoken about today. Work out what is your most effective amount of sleep for you personally and try to consistently get that whether that be through the routines or removing, doing difficult stuff before bedtime. We talked about a variety of different things with regards to your sleep. Taking control of your finances, knowing what is going on, facing up to what you're actually spending and how much you're actually earning and getting yourself organised for now and for the future. Remember that piece about emotions and resilience. We have six core emotions, but most of them, apart from that one neutral one, are negative. We only have one positive emotion. We need to start looking at the stimulus and looking at our response and working on how we do respond in that middle piece. We have that ability. And then we can think about our resilience. How resilient are we? What is our response to a situation? Do we, are we stretching ourselves? Are we pushing ourselves? fell early, fell forward, fell often. The more resilient we are, the better we will be when we come to difficult situations. And last but not least, let's think about our exercise, making sure that we benefit from those physical output that we do and staying healthy and fit. But we don't want to just go through every single one of these and list them as things we need to achieve because that will be too unobtainable. Think about the SMART goals, pick one or two of the things that we have spoken about today and implement them. Think about your work-life integration. What things, what two things could I do at work and what two things could I do at home to improve my well-being in general? Thank you so much for the, taking the time to listen. And that's it. Ta-da!